MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Popcorn Book Club. I'm Dana Schwartz. Thanks for listening. Last week, we started in on Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, now a series on NBC's Peacock. We discussed a whole bunch of people in it, none of whom, as it turns out, are the protagonist. This story does not have a protagonist. Nobody you want to root for. Anyway, if you haven't heard our previous show, please go back and start there. This one will make a little bit more sense. Today, Jennifer Wright, Karamadakwa, Tian Tran, Melissa Hunter, and I will get into the thick of Huxley's story about sex, drugs, and a complete lack of rock and roll. One more (laughs) tiny good thing that, again, levels, don't go this far, but non-violent, de-escalation of violence. But it was to keep everyone in line. Yeah. I mean, I would be much happier if they, instead of tear gassing protesters, they were blowing out weed smoke. Like, that would be pretty (laughs) And they they played an audio tape that was just like, just be nice to each other. Come on, guys. Just be nice. (laughs) Just be cool. That would be cool. That's scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is scary. Okay. It sounds like the music festival they used to have at my college. It's not fun. I'll just jump us off and then, Jennifer, I'm going to give you the, the climax, but I'll, I'll lead us up to there, which is uh, John uh, has, you know, had these ideals of this brave new world his entire life, hearing about it from his mom, Linda, but he's conflicted. People have no feelings. No one has read Shakespeare here. And he's very um, confused by this strumpet, Lenina, because he has feelings for her, but she's a strumpet. And and what is what is going on? Uh, so he has these this this crisis of faith, and he goes to visit his mother, as Joseph said, dirty word, dying in the hospital um, on Soma, on a Soma holiday, um, in a hospital where a Bokanovsky group of like a million twins uh, are being death conditioned. Because another pretty good thing about the society is people aren't scared of death, which genuinely is a is a positive thing that I think that 
humans should be less scared of death. Just mm. as a of of all the things that they were conditioning the young children, I was like that one fine. Because it's well, also like a lot of Latin American cultures have that too, with like Dia de los Muertos, where it's yeah. like death is something to celebrate and not to be as afraid of. I think Which, that there's a there's a line, and I mean that's the whole thing of this book is that there needs to be mm-hmm. a line somewhere between the two worlds. But I think that like eating a chocolate eclair and being like, is she dead? Is a little much callous. Yes, it's a little cavalier and callous and uncaring and unfeeling because they don't have these strong relationships. Right. And so I think that being unafraid of death is important, and, and and accepting that death is a part of life is important. But also seeing that person as a person who people cared about is what's missing in this, and that's yes. what John gets upset about. That's also it. It's like people also don't see people as individuals. They're like, you're just part of the organism. Mm -hmm. Like, you're Mm -hmm. not a person. So to bring us into the climax, uh, John witnesses his mother die and sees sort of the taunting and just like sneers and and repulsion of this Bakanovsky group of twins. And John has uh, a freak out, a justifiable freak out because his mom just died. Uh, And Jennifer, why don't you take it at this climactic moment? Um... John decides that he's going to liberate this world. So he sees uh, Soma being handed out to a huge group of people. I think they're Deltas. They've just finished working for the day and they're getting their ration of Soma. They're all lining up. And John runs back behind the station, uh, screams some Shakespeare at them, and throws away all the Soma. <laughs> um, understandably, everybody is furious. Uh, there's a riot. They try to attack Don't you them. understand? I've set you free. And uh, like, yes, no. no, no, that's not how they felt about that. They just did like eight hours of work in a factory. They Can thought I? they were going to get a drink. People are very angry at him. I sort of <laughs> jump in real quick. At this moment, I thought it, the plot was going to be that he was like that guy from the movie Yesterday, where he starts like reciting Shakespeare as if it's his own words, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh my goodness, this poetry, these sonnets. He's a oh god." god. Uh, but it didn't happen. <laughs> Because well, he's like, lend me your ears. And then he's like, oh, yes. shit, I've like, never spoken go. publicly before. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very unfortunate, but they can't even really rebel because I thought, wow, that's some strong emotion. Like, that's certainly furious anger resulting in a riot. It's certainly a very strong emotion because they release clouds of Soma into the air to calm everybody down. And they play this very soothing automated message saying, like, you should all be good and love each other. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, so it okay. turns into okay. like a gentle orgy. One more <laughs> tiny good thing that, again, levels don't go this far, but nonviolent shutting down of, of uh, de-escalation of violence. That, that is, is true. They thing. have like a nice little true. recording. They're like, oh, we're going to play Riot number two. All right, yeah. let's go. Yeah. But it was no to one gets keep hurt. everyone in line. So. They also drugged everyone. <laughs> like, it's not like, like they came to good terms. Yeah. I mean, I would be much happier if they, instead of tear gassing protesters, they were th- blowing out weed smoke. Like, that would be pretty <laughs> And they, they played an audio tape that was just like, just be nice to each other. Come on, yeah. guys. Just be nice. <laughs> just be cool. That would be I mean, cool. I, that feels okay. scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is scary. Okay. It sounds like the music festival they used to have at my college. It's not fun. <laughs> Wait, wait, what? Spring weekend. They did not play audio, creepy audio No, I'm audio just saying files. there was like a bunch of music and weed smoke and it was scary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So uh, Hemholtz and Bernard are also present for this. They are worried the savage is going to get killed. Hemholtz like rushes to defend him because Hemholtz is good at everything and that's made him different. Bernard is like a <laughs> shitty little weasel about this because he's a shitty little person. Yeah. So uh, they all get called in to stand before. I the like. World. So sorry. One more interruption. When they were like, "Is this? Are you guys friends with John?" The the they whatever. And Bernard was like trying to come up with a way he could say he no. Could say no. <laughs> he was been parading him around. Part of that was when help comes and it says that he starts shouting help to give the illusion that he's helping. <laughs> he's the worst. Oh, that's so terrible. So they're all called in before the world controller. And the world controller talks about how these people can't be in civilized society anymore. The world controller has also read Shakespeare. Uh, he also loved doing true science when he was young. He wanted to do real experiments, but they weren't conducive to society's happiness. So he had a choice when he was young where he could either accumulate a huge amount of power or he could be exiled to an island. And um, he's like, so all of you are going to be exiled to islands. You're, you're right about that assumption, if that's what you think is going on. And Bernard begins freaks sobbing out. uncontrollably, freaks out, <laughs> oh begs God. to be allowed to stay, <laughs> like becomes inconsolable and has to be taken and given Soma in the other room. And the world controller is like, well, that's a dumb reaction, because if you think about it, you're going to meet the most interesting people yeah. you've ever met in your life. Uh, it's everybody who was a little bit too weird to function here. And, and also, he really nicely lets uh, Helmholtz choose what island he wants to I go know, to. I love that part. He yeah. says, you want one with a good climate. And Hemholtz says, no, I think I'd do better writing if I was in a really bad climate. Yeah, he's like, and, the storms will yeah, inspire me. Which I understand yeah. that. I feel like yeah. you, don't, there's, you don't get a lot of writing done in Hawaii. I don't it think. works for the <laughs> Russians. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so I also he really... goes to the Falkland Islands, which is <laughs> that's yeah. nice. I also really like that it's basically an artist colony. That's the punishment. Yeah, sounds yeah. great. That sounds yeah. amazing. Also, yeah. I gotta say, I'm really bummed for Helmholtz that he is ba- uh, banished to an island with his toxic friend that he just can't get rid of. Oh, like, I don't think they're going uh, to the same island. No, they I are. Think I think they oh, are. Yeah, they yeah. are. Oh. And, and at the end of that chapter, when he freaks out, Helm, Helmholtz is like, I'm gonna go check on my friend. Even though he was like, it's them! Just banish them! <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go make sure he's okay. It's like, Helmholtz, you can do better. Helmholtz is an alpha plus friend. Hamilton's yeah. gonna meet a lot yeah. of interesting people. He's gonna be yeah. Great. He's gonna be yeah. great. He's gonna have a great time at the Falcon. Yeah, he's gonna have a lot of sex. He's gonna well, thrive. Okay. <laughs> one of the things that I did think was this is a little separate from the rest of the plot, but they talked about how at one point alphas wanted to have their own island. So they oh, gave yeah. them an island, and they had an alpha-only island, and it went terribly because none of them wanted to do menial labor. Uh, They were all just constantly jockeying to be the most powerful person there. It devolved into like wars and revolutions every few years. It fell apart immediately. Um, How would this island be different? Like, are there a lot of poets who want to do a lot of media? I I had the idea that maybe it's that this society doesn't understand that not all like poets and, and like, what I'm saying is there's a flaw with how they're making alpha pluses. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, because not all poets are like street smart or good at engineering. And so like the things that they were breeding in their alpha pluses probably also weren't the best things for like fun people always. That was my understanding where I was like, maybe 
instead of just being like the best and smartest people, they're specifically breeding alpha pluses to be like engineers for their mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. And so that makes them all kind of shitty. Yeah, um, it feels like in Cyprus, because it, it was the experiment with all the alphas mm-hmm. happened in Cyprus, it feels like they were like, okay, we want you to replicate this society exactly. And also you're being told, hey, you have to do epsilon work. So the things that you have been conditioned to think are beneath you are the things that they now have to do. So they gave them all the means of production and they were like, yeah, socialism. And they were like, but, but no, 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 we are capitalism and we want capitalism because that is good, right? You mm-hmm. buy new clothes when they get holes in them and all that good stuff. And it's like, no, yeah. I'll figure it out. So I think that's sort of the breakdown because they weren't willing to be cooperative because they had not been taught that that was a thing that you do. Yeah, they've been conditioned totally against that. Which is why I love that like John's outburst, not outburst, but that he's like going to liberate everyone starts off with quoting Shakespeare. And then he's essentially just like an emo boy in high school. That's like, I want to be unhappy. That's all (laughs) I want. So, so you want your unhappiness and he's like, yeah. And they're like, and pain? He's like, I'll take that too. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Give it all to me. I just want to feel. Okay. So uh, John is not allowed to go to the Falklands with his other friends. He goes off um, into the far reaches of the territory and takes over an abandoned lighthouse, decides that he'll just go on this little Walden adventure and live completely cut off from the rest of society. It lasts for like two days until reporters find him and they're like, it's interesting what he's doing. Um, John is horrible to them and attacks them. And he also starts whipping himself whenever he has sexual thoughts about Lenina. So, um, so reporters also see him uh, whipping himself in the wilderness and take pictures because that's a crazy story. And then a bunch of tourists come out to see him and they want to see him whip himself. And uh, eventually maybe Lenina is among them. And in any event, there is some blue eyed woman who goes up to him. I think it is Lenina because she's with Henry Foster. I assumed it was. Yeah. Well, everyone um, belongs to everyone else. So who knows who that lady was? Yeah, I, I, think, think, it's, it's yeah. Im- I think it's implied to be. Yeah. Lenina. I think it's implied to be Lenina, but I do think it's yeah. interesting that he didn't name her. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that it's like, to me, that implies it could have been any, like it, it probably is Lenina, but it could have been any woman in place of her in that mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. Um, oh. There is also an interesting part that doesn't have that much to do with the plot, but we get this neat little digression into a cameraman who is filming John oh, yeah. and very excited about using mm-hmm. this as a premise for a feeling, and he thinks it's going to be as good as, like, the sex life of a sperm whale, which would really be saying something. Like, he really... <laughs> He really thinks he's gonna he's gonna take the film medium to a new place. That made me laugh um, and laugh. Me and too. Laugh. I know people seem to take a lot of satisfaction in their jobs. Mm-hmm. I um, will say yeah. I did find it interesting that that specific photographer slash cameraman cameraman they yeah. he spent like four days in a tree. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. He was obsessed yeah. with where, getting the footage. But, yeah, but where I was like, isn't that a feeling of like wanting oh, a thing yes. and committing and then getting the thing? Like, yeah. how do they let him do that? That seems like way too much satisfaction. He needs to go to yeah. an island. Yeah. Yeah. Selma. Yeah. He's going to go to an island where he's going to make his documentary. That, films. that was yeah. interesting to me. And also the addition of the reporters felt out of place too. Cause I'm yeah. like, why would you need someone to be documenting some, like all the things that you know are supposed to be regimented 
Like, I, why do you need competing? I like, thought that was they, odd, too. Yeah. Also seem to want questions that would call their worldview into question. When they asked him, okay, you know the kind of questions we're going to ask. It's like, what do you think of civilized girls? Yeah. Which is a normal question for a tabloid publication. But if somebody says, I think they're all strumpets. Women should only sleep with one man. That is an incredibly controversial yeah. viewpoint yeah, for that world. Too many trumpets are going to read wait. that and be like, "Wait, shit! <laughs> oh, should I just be one like, man? Maybe. Wait, okay. does this does this brave new world have freedom of press? That's why yeah, I, apparently, I, yeah, and like a thriving entertainment industry. That's why I was so, that, I was like, "Wait, where the hell did these reporters come from?" Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that throughout the book, they do a good job of establishing that there's a level of offness that they'll allow because everybody's like oh marx is so queer and it's been established that he's kind of a weirdo but there's a point at which he becomes too weird they're like he's alone a lot he's like starting to ask questions that we don't necessarily think are cool and um like helmholtz is also kind of weird which is why they're friends because they've established that they're both alphas they're both weird but I think Helmholtz kind of kept it together more until he did that thing in his class where he showed them like unapproved rhymes. It's like the he teacher that a very, very long poem. <laughs> like, understandably, if and the kids are 12 years old, if your teacher suddenly just came in for science class and was like, I'm going to be reading one of my poems. I want to tell you all, when I was a junior in an AP English class, Mm -hmm. my English teacher, I mean, Frank, (laughs) my English teacher brought in a poem that he had written. Oh, no. And had us read it out loud, like line by line. And like the poem, again, a poem he wrote. And I remember specifically, there was like a line of like, home reading these inane essays from students who don't care. Oh, so wait, he dragged you and then made you read your dragging? Uh, but again, that wasn't like the point of the poem. It was just like snuck in there, like a little line of like his own like home life where he's like, I spend my nights reading meaningless essays. Oh my God, I love like, that. Something like that. Shout him out. <laughs> Very funny. I had an acting teacher do that once. He had a scene uh, and it was like at a reputable acting school, but he had a scene that was from something that he had written that was not like, it's not like he wrote something that was like produced by a major studio. It was like a thing that he wrote that he and his friends made some like teeny tiny indie film like 17 years before. <sighs> and he's like, we're doing this in class today. And I was like, Oof. I don't want to. We, our acting teacher in high school had an unpublished or self-published play called On Stars Not Falling. That was a autobiographical play about his coming out which is, you know, a, a, a good play, but very personal for, like, a teacher to be like, this is about me and my story. And, like, then to have students act it out in front of him. Like, we did his <laughs> play. That was an so autobiographical Look, the, play. The problem is not that any of these people did creative endeavors. I think no. that's wonderful. I think everybody should do creative yeah. things that make them happy. There's a time the problem is that you tried to turn your classroom yeah, don't into a little stadium class. of fans for <laughs> my- you. <laughs> My AP English teacher was this very famous English teacher at my school. She was like 
probably 80 when I had her. She was at a Pally High forever. She like donated. She was from very rich and like donated her salary to the school oh. and stuff. Oh, but she nice was an asshole. She like was oh. so mean. She like, bullied <laughs> half of the class. So she she would call people her fours and fives, like the ones that she thought were like the oh smartest. Oh, oh my is, god! Wait, she and then she's is she Alvis. was like had had I think a narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> And on the first day of class, and we were all told this, and I had her two years in a row, she came, turned on TV, and it was like she was on 60 Minutes or something as, uh, like, she, like, won Teacher of the Year one year. Oh, like, my gosh. 20 years oh. before. And oh she my gosh. plays it for everyone to be like, this is what you're getting, so oh you better appreciate God. it. <laughs> I just am imagining her rolling out the TV cart that you, like, yep. keep wow. for rainy days and days when you're hungover as a teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> popping in the homemade recorded VHS of her on 60 Minutes. And just yep. the tick, 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 tick happening. And then her face. Yep. Oh, gosh. Can you I imagine thinking you're going to watch The Road to El Dorado oh, and no. watching 60 Minutes on your <laughs> oh, teacher? No. Oh. Also, just like thinking of like a mean girl English teacher walking around being like, okay, my fours and fives, where are you? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It was oh. very, it was very it's intense. It's very, that would be yeah. like, oof, I would be such an insecure little high yeah. schooler in that room i mean i was a four so i don't know oh, i was a, it was i was a four too but she <laughs> like called three. us her, her fours and fives and then i remember i saw her one day with like her two favorite students like oh here they are my fives and i'm like oh that's why you call us collectively fours and fives <laughs> 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 you have two people say your fives oh, oh boy oh. You're listening to Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio, and we'll be back right after the break. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So we're back with Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio. Okay, so back to Helmholtz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reads a long poem to his students, which is cute. And that was like his big poem. act of dissent. So I think but that it's been established. They are correct in feeling like that was yeah. weird. It was yeah. weird. Yeah. But I they should have like reported him. Those acts, but like those acts of dissent don't seem to warrant like a full camera crew, which is which which was why I felt the reporters felt so odd that they were like on the ready, ready to record John like. I think part of it is like That's John true. is so different that John is like the only, you know. Yeah. But well, like, um, why do air the camera sound. crews exist? I think yeah, that's, that's what Jen said. I'm like, that's, maybe it's. I think it's part of that economy of distraction, right? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. it's the the frivolity of oh, a media, and like this society has probably. Well, yeah, it already it already assumes that people are so well conditioned that they're not going to do anything like wild. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're so regimented and in their like brain. It does. everything. Also, like the guy who did the whales thing or the, the nature thing, I wonder if that because it does feel like you wouldn't profile individuals because this this mm-hmm. society is so anti-individual that I feel like you would profile nature or you would profile like the the uh, the making of the feelies or something like that. But I don't know. Maybe they don't see John as an individual. Like that yeah, could I also be part they, of it. Like he is so outside yeah. the society that he's just like a curio. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and he's attempting to return to nature. He's yes. just thwarted in his attempts immediately. And even during this period where he is attempting to do his Walden bit, where he is living alone, unperturbed by the rest of the world. And he bought a few canned goods because they were irresistible, but he's not going to eat them. (laughs) (laughs) That was cute. That was very funny. Yeah. So he's planning to live entirely alone. It Okay. When I kept thinking about this book, and I think one thing that's interesting about any dystopia is we it forces us to think about what is missing from that society and what's valuable to us. And sometimes that's something very obvious, like water is missing from this society, and that is something I care about. Um, The main thing that seems to be missing from this society is love. And John comes no closer to being capable of loving when he's living alone at the end. He's still just whipping himself every time he thinks about Lenina, When she actually comes back for him, I thought the happy ending was going to be like he was going to run to her. They were going to be together. She was going to live with him in his lighthouse and they were going to restart the family. And I hope be documented by that guy who is a documentarian and very passionate about his art. Tree guy. (laughs) Tree guy. Tree guy. Yeah. He works really hard. Tree guy doesn't Um, suck. Everyone else sucks, but tree guy doesn't suck. John also, Aldous Huxley does that thing where he wants to make an argument. So he has two characters argue opposing points for 10 pages. And that's <laughs> yeah. the argument that John has with Mustafa Mound, where it's like two smart people with opposite perspectives talking. Yeah. And John's perspective is like, what about art and truth and beauty? 
And Mustafa Mount goes, okay, well, those are fine, but they're not empirically more important than comfort and happiness. And we prioritize comfort and happiness. Mm -hmm. And that is a compromise. Look, it's an argument. Some people say that, you know, comfort is better than than beauty and truth. Yeah. I I thought it was really nice when Hemholtz says that he's suffering because he wants to make art and he can't. Mm -hmm. And Mustafa Mound says that actually he's working with very few dramatic situations and he's still turning them into feelies and making art. And maybe that's more impressive than somebody like Shakespeare having the whole realm of human experience and making art out of that. What I was saying is like, even John is not a hero in the sense of like this book where it's like he's not doing anything for truth or beauty or art mm-hmm. or love. He's just like whipping himself and being alone. Like he really doesn't do anything other than espouse these ideas to make us the reader root for him. I think that this book is a cautionary tale about what happens when you read too much Shakespeare, but you don't understand it. Because <laughs> he doesn't understand it. And I feel like yeah. these people, like he talks a lot about Romeo and Juliet because he fashions himself to be Romeo and Lenina to be Juliet. And I'm like, first off, you didn't read the end of that. <laughs> Second of all, I feel like there is a choice that is made. And he is again saying... Like, because Juliet could have chosen to be with Paris and to take the easy road. But to quote Shakespeare in another of his plays, the course of true love never did run smooth. And he's saying like, well, everyone would be better if they did this. And it's like, well, no, there's no way that everyone would have been better, which is why they have this island for these misfit toys where they send them or several islands. Because he's like, oh, it's good that we have so many islands. I don't know what we do without them. And... um. So it's sort of like, I feel like Mustafa Mond is actually the most realistic person. And he's like, this is the society that we have. And I think that you have some valid points, but this is the society that we're in. Your society that you come from is not inherently better than ours. And you need to stop acting like it is. Your society is fine. Ours is not necessarily better than yours. And he's kind of the only one who, even while referring to it as civilization and savagery, does concede that savagery is not inherently bad. It's just different Mm. and it's old. Yeah. And that's exactly why he's like, yeah, we don't not teach this because it's bad or or scary. It just, it doesn't reinforce the society we've built that prioritizes comfort above all else. And they wouldn't understand it. Like that was the other piece of it. They wouldn't understand the lot. Like Helmholtz laughs at the idea of like the mother and Mm -hmm. this true love. And why wouldn't you in marriage and, it is so disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, I I will say, you know, Jennifer, you're talking about these kind of dystopian books and the one and the other part of it that I usually take from them is, you know, what are the things in this dystopia that feel familiar? And a lot of it feels very familiar, especially now, like the mm-hmm. idea of never being alone with your thoughts and like always having constant distraction and how constant distraction is a way for like the systems of power to keep working and also for consumerism to keep working to like feed the beast. And there's always something to buy. There's always something to consume. And I did feel like that Helmholtz thing about solitude and that like no one there is ever alone is it was just really compelling to me and kind of the 2020 world that we live oh in. Oh my God. Yeah. It made me, I mean, I'm someone, I'm alone in quarantine, but I'm on Twitter constantly. And I also keep like my TV on in the background when I work, just like 
And I always have like two screens up. Like I'm always, mm-hmm. my brain is, is never quiet. And I'm uh, clearly uncomfortable with just being alone with my thoughts, which isn't a good thing and a thing that I should work on. Yeah, I think there is also this idea that um, at least if you are someone who lives in public in any kind of way, like someone who is on Twitter, there is a notion that everyone belongs to everyone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, my husband often says that the thing that he thinks that our grandchildren will rightly mock us the most as a generation for was the idea that random private citizens had to issue like public apologies on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea that you had to be like, I'm sorry, I did, I was not aware of Goodyear tires, poor politics. I do not, they do not stand with me. I am a teacher from Missouri. Um, <laughs> it's, um, yeah. It is, uh, it is somewhat unnecessary that we believe that we belong so much to everyone else that we have to constantly make it clear that we are standing together as a group. Um, not that you shouldn't uh, try to support, you know, companies that do good things and uh, good people in general and the right political causes. But I do think there is an idea that if you don't, you will be canceled online very, very quickly. Um, and well, not everybody yeah, like, has Jennifer, any. Yeah. I mean, I not to bring up something personal from your Twitter, but the but that whole like book thing of like fucking nuts, right? like yeah. that is it's so innocuous it's not political it's yeah. just the way you organize your books oh, and for yeah. you to get dragged by strangers and telling you you're an idiot because you oh yeah don't worry i've written look there is a very real was, chance that i have written more books than those people have read this yes okay. so i'm not too worried but, <laughs> but, but it is like that that they feel like they have a right to uh, you know, your time and attention. Hey, thanks. Of- I didn't specifically want to invoke that example, but yes, it we, did we, we feel can, like what kind of insane world are we living in? We can where people feel like, oh no, no, it's fine. Honestly, it's better than me trying to make up an argument. Yeah, well, it I seems insane to me that people feel like they have a right to do that. Yeah. I think it's the same argument that Mustafa and uh, John are basically having, where it's like you are prioritizing in that specific instance beauty. And you're like, I like the way that this looks. These are books. They have information. I use them for information. I like them. But I am prioritizing the way I organize my books in a beauty sense. I want it to look pretty and be a rainbow. Which yeah, Dana, are you great. do the same thing, right? Yeah. I'm not insane. Yeah, I'm no, not I didn't. Do this. Dana's the first okay, person I think I ever saw that oh, at her house, God. and I was okay. like, "Why yeah. would you no, do this?" Totally. I feel like I'm like I live in a everywhere. studio apartment, and my bookshelves take up a full wall, and so I want them to like look nice. I know I see half that. of my last book advance to have those built-in bookshelves built and get the ladder and it's do beautiful. everything. They are in fact very important to me. They no, they're stunning. They're stunning. Okay, yeah. thank you. They are. This is Popcorn Book Club. We'll be right back after this quick break. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Okay, we're back with Popcorn Book Club. We didn't say what happens at the end of the book. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Just okay. So, so it was, it was like the ending. Lenina runs towards him. I fully assume they're going to embrace and restart a family and they're going to have an interesting and different world. But that is not what happens. He runs out after her and tries to whip her. And I think successfully does so. Yes. Like, just fully attacks her. Uh, yes. Yeah. Henry Foster runs away because... Um, all men are cowards in this world. Yes. Except for Hamels, but yes. <laughs> and Henry Foster runs away, and I think she might be dead. Anyhow, then the savage goes back to his house and hangs himself. I think they also yes. all have an orgy on her dead body. Yes, orgy porgy. Yeah, they have an orgy. Yeah, they have an orgy. They have an they orgy. Have so many because fucking they're just like, they're job? just overcome with like emotion, yeah. but they're conditioned yeah. not to know how to handle it except in that way. And so they have an yeah. orgy. Which and then John, John participates back. too because he's like, everything is so crazy. Like, I might as well just give in to what's happening. And then yeah. the next morning, he is so guilty that he had an orgy that, yeah, he, that he kills himself. himself. Yeah. yeah. Which, again, the scale of things that are bad and good about this world is like a certain level of sexual openness is, I would say, on the, the better scale if you can also marry that with a commitment and love. Um, and John thinking that every woman who wants sex is a, a strumpet who should be beaten and whipped to death. Not a good thing, Not John. Great. Not yeah, a great, yeah, kind thing. of. Pl- well, I mean, look, is is love incompatible with a society that is this calm and happy and prioritizes comfort this much? Well, I think they I do don't... love things. I think that they love things in a different way than we perceive love. Like they love electromagnetic and obstacle golf. <laughs> They love it. 
I do think love, monogamy is possessive, right? And there is inherent jealousy and like of yeah. owning owning an object, not that you're owning a person, but possessing a, an, an exclusivity with a person does lead itself to jealousy and you want things that other people have and you can't have certain people and well, I feel feelings like, aren't requited. I feel like it's toxic also- monogamy is that. I feel like monogamy doesn't have to be that. Monogamy doesn't have to be inherently jealous. I think that mm-hmm. recognizing that you can't be everybody to one person is important. And I don't mean that in terms of a sexual way, but like your partner should be able to have friends. Your partner yes, should yes. be able <laughs> to have a coworker where they make cheeky jokes and that's okay with you if that's something that they want. Like, I think that that there needs to be a conversation about what monogamy means to you. But I think that there's this culture that exists maybe more so back then, but especially now um, where it's like, oh, you're my person, you're my person, that's it. And well, well, I, I also, think you really just have to be on the same page. Like, I don't care if Mike Pence and his wife want to do their thing that I think is kind of weird where he's not allowed to talk to other women. And I'm sure she's not allowed to talk to other men and they're calling each other mother and father. OK, it's weird to me. It's not what I would want for my marriage. But it seems like they're both very much on the same page and that makes them happy. But so I think okay. I think I'm speaking a little more abstractly yeah. where it's not about the actual yeah. nature of monogamy. It's the nature of strong feelings for anything and a possessiveness, then like, even if it's not like cheating, it's like, if the person died, like there's a loss and and, yeah. and there's pain in, in loving something. Yeah. Well, there's family too. Family is a kind of love. Yeah. I think there also is, this is, this is less about all of that. Yeah. It's more about fa- familial love and romantic love mm-hmm. and those two things inherently as perfect and healthy as they can be in the most healthy version, there is grief involved in those relationships because if it's not through a divorce or a breakup, it's through someone dying or like with a child, it's them moving away. You know, like there's, there's so much grief because the feelings are so intense and that this society has gotten rid of those griefs and losses mm-hmm. in f- and mm-hmm. but they've also gotten rid of deep meaningful love i mean dorothy parker has this great quote where she says it's so easy to be sweet to people until you love them and i i think that's true i would never speak to like my postman the way i spoke to my mother when i was 15 when i right. told her that she was like full on destroying my life um like it is and you know if uh if somebody killed my husband i would want to hunt them down and kill them uh those are not civilized rational feelings that lead to everybody's happiness and well-being and my biggest fear is my parents dying and like that is mm-hmm. that ru- that ruins my life the thought of that and yeah i that is a a pain because i have something good and i don't want it to go away i just want to speak to grief and i think that having community is what makes grief bearable and what makes grief something that can be compatible with civilization. Because it's like the moment when some you have somebody in your life die. And we talk about this, um, or we don't talk about it, but it comes up in The Hate You Give, how everybody comes together after Khalil's death. And they are all there for each other to support each other in this terrible time where somebody was taken too soon. And I think that the problem with John losing Linda is that, there's no template for it. 
They're like, mm-hmm. why are you like this? Eat an eclair, have some Soma. Like, it's not that deep. People die. And because I think it's just two worldviews being incompatible. So it is about, like Jen just said, being on the same page. Oh, I really like the quote that John says in his sort of like monologue towards Mustafa Mound, where he's quoting the one book he's read uh, and he's talking about Hamlet. And he says, like, you know, to bear the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. He's like, well, you just made the, instead of bearing it, you just do away with the slings and arrows. Got so it's like him. I totally Karama, you're totally right. Like mm-hmm. our, our society has come up with ways to cope with that grief mm-hmm. through like communities. And they're just like, well, what if we just didn't? <laughs> I was so mad when he did that quote because he misquoted it. And I was did like, he? yeah, I had to double check because I was like, look, I don't know much but I know to be or not to be. When I used to work out, mm-hmm. <laughs> LOL, um, I used to recite to be or not to be when I was on the rowing machine so that it would feel less traumatic. Oh. I'm oh. making a face, Karama. That is the most taps concentrator shit I've ever I heard. Have yeah. agree. I'm sorry. It's something that I remembered that I knew well that I could go through. And he says, whether tis in the book, Aldous Huxley says, whether tis better. And I was like, tis nobler, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's wrong. And I checked. I was like, there's no version of this. That would have been really an amazing power move at the end of uh, Bernard's speech. Uh, Mustafa was like, tis nobler. Oh, (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, Oh my gosh. Mic drop. If I wrote that TV show, that's what I would. uh, That's what I would do. Before we get into smart, Is John just kind of dumb? John is definitely dumb. But I think he is. How could he not be? Also, because he doesn't, I mean, he, he formulates his arguments well, but the fact that he thinks the solution is just go into a, a forest and pray all day on yeah. his knees, like, that's not a productive use of your energy, also, I don't think. That's also a weird narcissism and a weird distraction. He, he, Absolutely. Yeah. He became very Bernard-like by the end. Well, and, like, he had never really been shown much kindness, except for that one old man at the reservation, and no one really taught him anything. Like he had been taught how to read, but not to comprehend fully what he's reading. And I think that, so like genuinely, how could he not be bad at formulating arguments and bad at making these connections? Like he has, he has learning, but he has no education. Well, that's almost the most interesting thing to me as also, as we said, there's no protagonist in this book. Like John is not a hero. And again, he murders Lenina at the end. And if he doesn't, he maims her. (laughs) But in a less nuanced or maybe even more modern dystopian book, usually there is a character who's meant to be like an audience placeholder Mm -hmm. who always is like voicing things as if they're the reader from our world who just came into that world. (laughs) You know, like Katniss and Hunger Games being like, this is wrong. We shouldn't have a Hunger Games. And you, the reader, are like, yeah, they shouldn't have a Hunger Games. Right? Where it's like someone who's like preternaturally wise and has a uh, perspective yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so none of these characters have uh, perspective on their society. Honestly, I think the only one that does is Mustafa Ma- Ma- yeah. Yeah. because like he yeah. saw that he knew the old world and whether, you know, you agree with him or not about this dystopia, uh, he gets both sides. Like he understands the benefits of not being in the society and having romantic love and art, but he like, I chose not to. Which makes his position as the resident world controller pretty diabolical. Yes, absolutely. Like, the fact that he can just sit there and 
talk to John about, oh, yeah, I see your side of things. And I saw it from that perspective as well. And he probably maybe would have ended up in the same position as John if he just didn't wasn't offered a position of power. Well, that's sort of the scary thing is when you have someone like Mustafa Mound looking at a population and saying like, all right, we will predestine that everyone just lives a comfortable life mm-hmm. and lives and does their job and plays golf and dies. You're like, well, why are these people even living? It's like an ant yeah. colony. Like you could just kill, like if your life is just like a meaningless array of, of Soma pleasantries, like w- what is the difference between that and life and death? Like it, to me, it reads as Mustafa Mund like playing with an, an ant colony. It and that's what's sort of sinister. To me, I mean, maybe this is the 2020 interpretation, but like propping up billionaires and making them continue to be rich and have their machines run and they buy their clothes and their Soma and their perfumes and their feelies and and their mechanical golf and whatever that like they need all those people to do that. Yeah, uh, because like Mustafa has that uh, he even mentions like the iceberg as the perfect example of what the society is that like the tip is yes. that like one eighth tip I mean, at the very yes. top. I was like, your numbers are yeah. wrong. <laughs> he was like, it was like <laughs> percentages one are way wilder. He was like one ninth <laughs> above the water, eight yeah. ninths below the water. But I think it's because I had like nine pasts or something. Yeah, like that. Really maybe the like wealth was disparity just, was less less crazy less in crazy. 1931 <laughs> yeah. because now it is. Whoa. But it did feel like he was describing late stage capitalism <laughs> a lot. For uh, sure. Totally. I wanted to talk about the epigram, the quote at the beginning. Is it epigraph or epigram? Which one is it? Um, I think it's epi- the epigraph. Yes, the epigraph, a word that I knew for sure. Um, so it's in <laughs> French, um, which in French I was one of my teacher's fours. Um, so I just Ooh. have to, I took mm. AP French, no big okay. deal. Uh, I definitely had to use Google Translate to get some of this though, because I was like, oh, it's been a while. But it basically boils down to um, utopias are basically becoming more realizable than we believed before. And we find ourselves actually in front of a more um, agonizing question, which is how do we avoid the definitive realization of utopias? Utopias are realistic. Life marches towards utopias. And maybe in in the beginning of a new century, a century where intellectuals and the cultivated class can dream of a method of avoiding the utopias, we can return to a society, non a non-utopian society, less perfect and more free. And I think that that's a really interesting, mm. like, little summary of the book and the idea of less perfect and more free. And interesting that we are trying to form a more perfect union. I think that, have any of you read 1984? Yeah, sort so of. that's another that's another book that is sort of compared to this a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, they I think that one's written in the 50s, but like similar similar eras and, and both dystopian to a degree, even though 1984 is like objectively a full totalitarian government. Mm-hmm. I would argue that, you know, Brave New World is equally totalitarian, but just yeah. like more pleasant where it's like the defectors in Brave New World when you're different, you just like go to the Falkland Islands and they're like, great. We're in like, great in 1984, they like torture you with rats, mm-hmm. which is bad. Um, yeah, that's and- a big difference. Rats or well, islands. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Mustafa does talk about that, that like force that they tried to kill people, like do this through force and fear. 
and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just caused civil unrest and they're like, oh no, we can't have that. And I thought that was really interesting. And that's how you know that this is like every piece of this is designed by very evil people because they just want to control the masses. Mm -hmm. It's just that like, uh, what is it? You get, get more flies with honey. Yeah. Catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Civil, civil unrest like inspires heroism. You yeah. know, it inspires yes, glory. Said. Yeah. Oh, and so, that's what I, really pissed me off about the misquoted Shakespeare was because he had just been talking about being noble and then he didn't even say the word noble where it was in the text. Like, I was <laughs> big the mad about this. Tongue. But I he's think... He's not used to public speaking. That's, I mean, he's pretty private at that point. I think it's interesting <laughs> that Mustafa Mont's last name is World in French. Mm-hmm. So he's like born to be the world controller. Again, I took French. I don't know if you all knew. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the little cameos of all the of all the people with their with their names, like um, the Malthusian belts, which is like the the reproduction. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, Ma- Malthus is the the economist who talks about like population growth, mm-hmm. so it makes sense that like to limit population. Oh, I didn't just, know like, that. Aldous is like, look at all the people I know. I went to Oxford. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> name drop. Name drop. And he didn't, even, drop. he didn't even have Google. He did yeah. not. That's impressive. They were just up there in his noggin, but apparently not the correct version of to be or not to be. It was late in the book. Well, John, John is paraphrasing. Yeah, John I, is a This bad is memory. the one book John blame, has written his entire fucking life. I blame the know. editor. I blame Aldous's editors for That's that That's fair. Whoever you are, Aldous's editor, I hope you hear this from beyond the grave and you're ashamed of yourself. Um, <laughs> I bet they are. I bet they're hearing it being like, God, I, we know. It's really, it's my one regret. That's why I'm stuck on Earth because I okay. can't. It's my unfinished business. Should we talk about so, the show at all? I was about to say, most of us did not watch the show. Yeah. The one thing that came up in the text chat that I want to bring up is Demi- actress Demi Moore playing Linda. Yeah. yeah. Um, because look, Demi, Demi Moore is the antithesis of human age. She's the opposite of yeah, human age. She really is. Uh, yeah, don't worry. They make her into a sex symbol on the show. Oh, and dear. also, she doesn't like choose to die slowly by taking Soma. She's shot as she heroically gets her son to safety so he can go back to wow, the civilized world. Oh, wow. <laughs> I yeah. liked her as just like this, this like tragic figure. It was really interesting because in the show, in the the show, the Savage Area is an amusement park. It's not a reservation. Westworld. They they love Westworld. They're They're like, it's our Westworld. (laughs) But like, it's got real quote unquote savages, but they're all like, um, they are all working class white people. What some might call trailer trash is what (laughs) is the, that's the like vibe. Like that is what they're going me for. Of, yeah, but they're it's also a lot like George Saunders. If you like, oh, Civil Saunders. Warland. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like that. But that's also interesting because then those people are also are they familiar with? Do they know they're in a theme park? Yes, or no? it's like oh, they yeah. work that's weird. there. Yeah, oh, job. yeah, that's weird because then they know about the outside world. Exactly. Like, but I there's thought, some that's blue totally force field that prevents them from going out. I just watched the first episode. The first two episodes are free. Um, and I like, it was very weird because basically they were like, oh, the regular people are not regular. They didn't say regular, but the people from new London can walk in and out of that blue force field. And it makes you wonder if they're even human. And I was like, wait, are they human? What is this blue force field? What's going on? 
Oh, Someone, boy. A lot of stuff happens in the TV show that does not happen in the book. Okay. And a lot of it is not good decisions. Someone really had a take. Some things that yeah. I do enjoy, less racist. Off the bat, a lot of people of color characters seems okay. like they are not, uh, they're not like mixing, the, they're mixing the casts up a little bit more. The C-A-S-T-E casts, not the C-A-S-T cast. Um, and well, both Henry, it sounds like. Henry is Asian. Okay. Oh, and everybody's sexually fluid. So yes. everybody's having everyone truly everybody belongs to everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Henry's Asian, Franny is black. Um, and then we already talked briefly about how Helmholtz is a woman named Wilhelmina. Okay. So Helm for short. Does she it, is she still like a hot commodity? She's oh, yeah. such a hot She makes commodity. all the feelings. She's uh she's their Andy she's Warhol. Cool. She's oh, so that she's cool. doing Andy Warhol because she wears this, a silver wig. Yeah, this little Who, haircut oh, that she's got. Mustafa. I don't think I saw him in the first episode. I, I did look at the IMDB and I think Mustafa is a they uh, gender flip that character too. I think. Okay. Ooh, intriguing. Um, Ooh, dystopian. Modern dystopians love like a steely woman to be in charge. Yes, absolutely. That's like the new trend of like a woman in a gray suit. Oh yeah, it's like mm-hmm. totally Kate Winslet yeah. in Divergent. And uh, like, Julianne yeah. Moore. Yes, and yeah, um, girl, you and, uh, Juli- and Julianne Moore. Yeah. <gasps> oh yeah. I think the oh, yes. or Tilda <gasps> Swinton and uh, Snowpiercer. Oh god, that movie is fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I love Snowpiercer. It's super fun. That's yeah, a good that movie. Is, that's that a good dystopia. Good that's a fun dystopia. All right. <laughs> They're making it into a TV show. Wait. Before we leave, let's go around and say if you had to live in a dystopia, you have to live in it. You. <laughs> oh. Which one would you want to live in? Wait. Do I get to choose, like, like am I in book? charge? <laughs> no, you're not in charge. You're just a citizen. It can be a book, TV show, anything. But it, it, we all have to sort of collectively oh, agree my. it's a dystopia. Well, what about the one we're in now? Can I just stay here? <laughs> Clever, but no. I would pick. This one is hard. This is hard. Okay. I mean, I, I think um, if we lived in the Hunger Games, we live in America and... Um, you know, we, we live in wealthy parts of America. We would definitely live in the capital. I think we feel bad about the games going on, but the clothing is very good. We, we could have like a protest. That is also true where it's like we are the coastal elites. And also in the Hunger Games, it's yeah. only it's only 10, 11 kids dying a year. Oh, my God. You're not even going to come to my capital lady protest? It's 23. Oh, my kids God. Dying. So quick. So quick. Dana, I wow. would expect you there at the protest. There I'll come to the protest afterwards. I'll come to the protest, but I'll be like, yeah, look, as long as if it keeps everyone. There's a lot of deaths now, okay. a lot of kids die. To be clear, I can't right? believe, okay, kids I can't believe that you're going to be moderate conservatives wow. be in the capitals. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I didn't say that. I think I choose um, to live in the purge. Can I live in the purge? Yeah, that's the yeah. Oh, that's my scariest that's my one to live in. I think that's scary. I. I was. That's what I was going to do. Westworld, because especially. Are you a robot or are you a person? Either one, there there are benefits. The robots don't ever remember anything, and then eventually that, yeah, that they, does there's seem an fun. uprising, and that seems very fun. If the robots robot. didn't but remember what if, anything, what if you're there not would be no a show. Robot. 
But if you're a human. But as a woman visitor, I feel like the men visitors are terrible, but the women visitors just I would have I would have fun. Saloon, like flirt with James Marston. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, like, I would what be about friends then when them. the robot uprising happens and you're a human? Well, yeah, you yeah, might I would be friends. No, I was already friends. Yeah, we were friends with the robots. <laughs> yeah, we, we were friends with well. the robots. We wouldn't, we, like, yes. we're, yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm just a regular person, I either choose The Purge or Dollhouse because in Dollhouse, I would be a regular oh, person God. unaffiliated with the Dollhouse. <laughs> I would not be rich enough to partake at the Dollhouse. I don't think that I am like conventionally <laughs> hot enough to be a doll. So I'm just like a person in Los Angeles. <laughs> I live in Dollhouse. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Dana, what, what, I think I know. would. Did you guys ever read The Giver when you were a kid? Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. I think I know that that's a dystopia where like colors don't exist and like strong sexual feelings don't exist. But like they're all emotionally healthy oh, Dana, and you have families and you ride your bike and you like yeah. you talk about your Dana, dreams. they kill all the twins. Do they? They have to murder all oh, the twins. Oh, yeah. Again, you, it's Dana, a dystopia. Like, okay. I said, oh my wow. God. All right. Dana Dana is not troubled by just wow. killing children. I said it has to <laughs> Yeah, I was like, it has to be a dystopia. Westworld enslaves sentient beings. Or, I mean, honestly, runner up would be Brave yeah, yeah, New yeah. World and yep. get sent to one of the tropical islands. Yes. yes. Oh, wait. I, I might be changing my opinion. Um, oh, my God. Oh, no. The shade remake. Yeah, which one? Would you be Lobotomy? Actually, like, Stepford Wives would be great if you just like don't live in Connecticut because then you're um, just normal. Okay, like but cheat. even then, like I like a lot of the things. <laughs> oh, Jen, Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer. Oh, I Jennifer. Enjoy cooking. Oh no, baby, what are you doing? No, this is worse about, than like, mine. Making pies. It oh, is fun to do Christmas decorations. Oh my gosh, Jennifer. They're right. I would purchase <laughs> the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer. <laughs> The The great thing about the purge is you get to save up for 364 days all of the rage that you have and then direct it whoever you want with no consequences. But and every year it definitely gets worse because they probably killed someone you loved last year. So now you've got to go. Right. Here's that the person. other yeah. here's the other upside of the purge. All laws cease to exist on the night of the purge, which means like Doing community gardens oh, I was in places like, what where are you you're not allowed do? to have community gardens. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I, like, I want to like break laws that are dumb. Yeah. Extortion. I would extort people. That's not All right. what I'm saying. We're going into purge. We're going into purge discussion. <laughs> this is too far. I'm very sweaty. Carl was like, I would build something in my backyard without a proper permit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would park on the street sweeping side of the street. If the purge happens on the first, I'm not paying rent. <laughs> Uh, this was a delight. Thank you, Jennifer, Tian, Melissa, and Karama for joining me. Uh, Brave New World is a series on Peacock, if you want, but it sounds like it is not similar to the book. Uh, well, but the costumes are great. It has but the bones of the costumes. book. I'm going to say it has yeah. the bones of the book, <laughs> yeah. but it's got real different muscles. That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dana Schwartz, and you can find me on Twitter at Dana Schwartz with three Zs. You can follow Jennifer Wright at Jen Ashley Wright. Karama Dankwa is at Karama Drama. Melissa Hunter is at Melissa FTW. 
And Tian Tran is smart enough to have gotten off Twitter, but she is on Insta at Hank Tina. Our executive producer is Christopher Hesiotis, and we're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to David Wasserman. Next week, we will get some screen time and talk about how the Peacock adaptation of Brave New World diverges wildly from the novel. Spoiler alert, but like way different. All right. See you next week. Popcorn Book Club is a production of iHeartRadio. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.